inside view of the latest private equity deals and the people behind them and meet the people who make it happen. Welcome to Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. Host Kevin Fechtmeyer and the Deal Team 6 members interview company founders who have succeeded and some that haven't. Each show will feature lively interviews with company founders to find out whether there is a deal or no deal. Now here is Kevin Fechtmeyer and his team of experts. Hello, this is Kevin Peckmeyer, host of Deal Junkie, Cracking the Private Equity Code. I'm here today on a little bit of a different topic. Uh, we don't have a CEO, but we have someone who's arguably more important. Um, a lot of CEOs and founders don't have a board of directors. When we meet them and they come in the door uh, pitching their business, they often have themselves and their employees. And many of these are very successful people and built a nice business and uh, are looking for funding to grow from the private equity market and uh, they've never had a board. And what's interesting, they probably don't have anybody who tells them no in in their office. They oftentimes fall into a trap of, you know, listening to their employees and sometimes they wake up and they realize that everybody that, that... surrounds them day in and day out are people that are on their payroll. And where do they get good advice? Where do they get really objective, thoughtful advice from smart people? And I think that's why we've got Susan Schultz here, who uh, is from the Board Institute and one of the leading recruiters of executive directors and board of directors in the country. And, uh, and she recruits for a lot of high-level companies as well as a lot of companies that are middle market that would be backed by private equity folks. So the title of the show is how do you build a board with private equity? How do you, you know, ultimately create that, that team at the high level that, that aren't employees of the company, but are in effect involved and informed and, and create value in, in a way that is very different than what a founder usually has ever done. And so with that, let me dive into Susan. You've got a very impressive resume and it's listed on the site. But I want to first introduce you and let you talk a little bit about yourself. And then we'll we'll, we'll split the four uh, parts of the show into number one, why is a board so important? Number two, how do you go out and recruit and find directors for private equity firms and why it's important maybe to do that before you talk to a private equity firm. And then we're going to go into the Hall of Fame with uh, the uh, boards of directors that have really, you know, done well and those that have frankly fallen on their face. And I think there's some instructive experiences there we can both share. Uh, Susan, can you hear okay? Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. Go ahead. Tell us about yourself. Well, Thank you, Kevin, for uh, having me, and I, as you will quickly learn, am, am really passionate about the importance of boards and the difference uh, they can make for success, especially with smaller companies, earlier stage companies that just don't have the resources of Fortune 500s. Uh, I got into this business, I was... Uh, leading legislation on the Hill for congressmen and and did quite a lot of political campaigns, and I was then a reporter. And then I moved in to retain search. I was always interested in policy and leadership, 
and that's really what boards are about. So uh, we formed a retained executive search firm and migrated to the board level. It was and still is, in my opinion, a glaring need uh, for so many companies uh, of all sizes, but especially the mid-size and smaller companies that don't yet appreciate the value they can deliver. So we uh, became one of the first companies that was proactively uh, matrixing boards, uh, thoughtfully identifying what kinds of attributes would be most valuable to a company's future, uh, and then uh, structuring boards. And uh, people were asking me what there was to read at that time. And uh, there wasn't much other than academic treatises. So uh, I had written three best-selling books, and so I wrote the board book. Uh, American Management Association published it, and that became a handbook uh, for boards, and it really is kind of a board manual. What, yeah, what did you do in that book? I mean, what was it that uh, really created the breakthrough? Because I, I didn't really know much about this until I met you a few years back, and I didn't realize there was a whole network of people that were starting to recruit directors, and that sounds like kind of a real breakthrough in thinking. Uh, and, and talk about some of the seminal ideas that that book had. Well, uh, it one was the matrixing of a board starting with the uh, matrix and the need and not the human. And this is a, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here, but it's... No, that, that's it's okay. No, the, you got a very fancy, I like your fancy word, matrixing. That sounds, uh, and that sounds very <laughs> sexy and cool and, uh, and it, you know... It's all of the above. And <laughs> it's really essential to, to do uh, a good board. But uh, at the, you know, today, this is still the case. Uh, we tend to recruit those we know and who we feel comfortable and safe with. And, and really the way to gain strategic advantage is to move into a new world, have people who are uh, carefully and precisely retru- recruited to your future needs and are indeed independent. Uh, so, so by so, matrix, uh, you really mean that uh, the different perspectives are multiple uh, disciplines of expertise. Help me understand the matrix. I, I, so I matrix, agree with you, and I think I understand it, but for the audience yeah. that is maybe a little newer to this, it would be helpful. So matrixing is, is simply looking at a company's needs going forward and listing those criteria on a chart. If you already have a board, you look at who has uh, some of those attributes already, and then you look at the holes, and it's a pretty logical process. So you start with the need and not the person you know. And uh, that, at, at the time, was really quite innovative, hard to imagine. But today, still, boards are so slow to change. You know, they operate secretly, really. And uh, so uh, it's ironic that the one group with the power to decide the fate of an organization, the board of directors, is the one group that's often randomly selected, poorly informed, rarely evaluated, and almost never held accountable. And so the first step in that is being clear about 
what can benefit a company going forward. And then uh, one of the things we did in the board book was productize some of the concepts uh, and create the board institute. And that's an innovative, unique suite of professional web-based tools that allow boards to effectively and objectively uh, measure their performance for the overall board, for the individual committees, for uh, the individual directors. One of our founders is the founder of 360-degree feedback, and and, uh, our most recent tool is the risk index, and that we partnered with ProTivity, which is a Arthur Anderson outgrowth and probably the most prominent risk uh, advisor in the market with 5,500 consultants. Our other partner for that is uh, the uh, company called Cybermetrics, and that's a Warren Buffett company. So uh, there's an opportunity today to have a measure Uh, of how your board is performing. So uh, we have, as a result of the book, you become an expert, of course, when you write a book, uh, and you do learn a lot in the process. So uh, we really have become kind of gold standard for, for how to create a board, how to sit on a board, the questions to ask, the the pros and cons of, of a board and and the tremendous benefits in my uh, belief and and now the market is demonstrating that there is a link between good boards and good companies and there's been a lot of resistance to that thinking but now there's a lot of data uh, that substantiates it and so I've been struck by the value of good boards and horrified uh, by the wasted opportunity of passive or failed boards. And well, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I want to dive into that in our next episode is what some of those examples are. Because I'm coming from the private equity perspective and you're dealing, frankly, even at a higher level of board when you talk about the Fortune 1000 and you know, it's always shocking these stories that come out where the boards are unresponsive or they're not holding management accountable. And, you know, here are some people that, you know, frankly, they get criticized because they don't own much stock in the company. They're, they're taking down $100,000, $200,000 a year just for showing up and playing some golf. And there's a, there's a perception, at least, that, that, that a, lot, a lot of the big company boards have sort of lost their accountability and their diversity and have gotten a little too hermetically sealed, both in terms of culture and relationships and are much less likely to challenge these groups. And and so there's a lot of things coming into play today that are demanded by institutional investors, albeit slowly, they're changing. But here's what's amazing to me is that private equity, ostensibly one of the, you know, the more responsive capital markets where You've got you know closely held companies building a board designed to grow a company at you know much rapid much more rapid rates of growth and and they're kind of there to break the mold and and to you know battle the uh, incumbents which are typically the Fortune 1000 and I don't see them maybe paying the attention that they should to build the board. A lot of times we see the big private equity firms just they stack a nine or seven person board with three to four or five of their own people. 
and uh, you know sometimes just a couple you know pimply Harvard MBAs showing up and you know really kind of getting <laughs> board training and it, sure they're smart sure they're you know they're invested and highly motivated but I often don't see enough as much attention to this uh, aspect of a company that it, it, you know that, and you would expect something different you would expect a a you know couple trillion dollar industry like private equity to spend a little more time building a diverse board rather than sort of just making sure they have the votes and so there's a lot of ways to do that and i think you know there there's going to be obviously more accountability and and more more power given to the board in a private equity back situation than a kind of a large diversely held multinational but i want to get into that the private versus public sphere that you know what are the differences that you see and and I want to talk a little bit about that because we want to advise our our CEOs and founders what's the best way to build a board and I oftentimes I don't look around and see a lot of good examples of, of how to do that and you know you've, you've built a business around doing that you know doing that well I, I, I hope we're barking up the right tree here but what, what do you think? Yes, and I want to. I have a lot of, of views about uh, private equity boards. L- let me just say uh, first that that a board is there to add strategic value, and uh, it is there to make sure that the right leadership is in place and that they have the resources uh, to succeed. And that's. Uh, really all they can do. They can address the big issues and avoid the fatal mistakes. We just uh, got a note that our break time has come up. Um, we've got a two-minute break, and I want to really continue on this, about what, what you're seeing in the difference between public and private boards, and let's go from yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In your business, are you on top of your PR game? PR is what tells your story. Whether it's the business itself, key people in your business, or showing your best face to the public, listen for the brand ambassadors. Host Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield will discuss effective presentation ideas, building your personal brand, risk management, crisis communication, and more. Focus your business goals and PR resources. Listen live Fridays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. How many milestones do we rack up in our lives? 
from marriage to changing jobs, buying a home, and starting a family. We think we have our money and finances figured out, but it isn't that easy. Learn how to plan, set, and achieve your financial goals by tuning in to Money Counts, unleashing your money's hidden potential with host Debbie Peterson. It's time to take control of your personal cash flow. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Hello, this is Kevin Feckman. I'm here with Susan Schultz of the Board Institute. And we're talking about how to build a, a good board and how private equity uh, is currently looking to good, build good boards and what can we learn from best practices. And uh, I wanted to, Susan, let's go back into what we're talking about, the public versus private board, and maybe give some examples of what you're, I'm always curious, you know, what do you see when you get to the, the scene of the crime, so to speak, and then what do you, what do you tend to find that needs fixing? So, uh, you know, that's, that's a really big question. Um, we, first of all, I, I have some concerns about how private equity approaches them. It's now recognized, boards are now recognized as uh, as a critical factor for corporate success. It's not implemented so frequently, but it is recognized, and I think that's very important. Uh, but I think that companies are best served by being very thoughtful and proactive in the kinds of people they're going to bring on. Anybody you imagine you can recruit. We did uh, a search for a uh, technology uh, mathematical modeling company. They were a $20 million company. They wanted a, a CFO of one of the top 10 financial services companies in the country uh, to head their audit committee, uh, which sounded impossible. But directors, anybody you imagine you can recruit if it's a fit, so we recruited the CFO of U.S. Bank Corps uh, for that board, and he loved it because it was something that was intellectually stimulating. He could make a difference. He could understand the whole business and think of what that one director brought to that board. We did another search for a fast food finance company that you're probably familiar with, Kevin, and and they were financing all the fast food companies except for McDonald's. And we were able to recruit the executive vice president and general counsel of McDonald's who had just retired. So think of the difference that made to that particular company and their board. Not only in the access, which is only one of many things that a board can do, but also in the culture in the knowledge about board work and the knowledge of the responsibility of a board. Uh, so when I, I have spoken to 
CEOs in New York of uh, venture capital companies, and I have pleaded with them to include truly independent directors among those they present to their companies. I have pleaded with them to sit on fewer boards. Uh, They tend to, and this is all generalization, but they tend to, to sit on many boards. I've pleaded with them to diversify their uh, set of expertise away from just finance. Diversity uh, means diversity of everything, not just uh, gender, not just uh, ethnicity, uh, but it also includes expertise. And uh, one of the things that I've seen happen repeatedly with private equity firms is that the focus is on financial expertise and the focus is exclusively, nearly exclusively, uh, on finances and the numbers and there's so much more to a business and really the key is the strategy. Uh, Anything a business uh, wants to do, whether it's uh, moving into China or Mexico, uh, you can recruit a global director uh, who uh, knows that market. I think if a company has a significant investment in a particular market, it makes tremendous uh, sense and value add to bring on somebody from that market. Um, I think that um, uh, private equity tends to include people they know on their list of prospective directors. I think there's a tremendous amount to be gained to a company to go beyond uh, their existing network uh, and to go into a new network, a new way of thinking, and uh, have independence uh, beyond those who are known either to the company or to uh, the private equity firm. Um, well, that, you know, I, now, Susan, I couldn't agree with you more. Let, let me start with a basic question because everyone starts, you know, legally with, you know, who's represented on the board. What's the, what's the right balance? And I and I I see a lot of imbalance. I'm curious what kind of imbalances you see. But you've got management, you've got investors, and you've got outside independents. What's the right balance, in your opinion, for a board? Yeah, and that's a really, really good question. In my ideal world, I like to see a independent board set up before the investment because then you have uh, directors who are committed to the long-term interest of a company. And I do think... <clears throat> In cases, certainly, that private equity interest may diverge from those of the company long term, uh, both in terms of valuation and in terms of, of length of commitment. So I think the ideal, and this is maybe heresy to you, but I think the ideal is to have uh, at least some independent directors in place before Uh, money is invested. And I don't mean to diminish the value that private equity brings because 
they see so many companies and have uh, a really powerful and important perspective. I well, we, uh, we always, I mean, that's our goal as a private equity firm. I mean, we, again, we're a little different. We're as much of a family office as a private equity firm. You know, it's independent yes. capital. There's no deadlines to our capital. So we're a little unusual, but we very much focus on bringing in at least one or two independents, typically executives that come from a pool of dozens or hundreds that we've worked with or management would recommend. So it's a collective decision. But I think right. where private equity, private equity gets knocked because a lot of these guys are on five-year investment horizons or 10-year fund life. And you know, they may or may not control the company. They may be influence investors or control it with other investors. But boy, the, the biggest knock is, oops, you know, time to get a new fund raised. Let me sell. And so yeah. let, let's just let's sell the boat. Let's have the board vote for that. So it's hard to say, you know, whether that's in the right strategic interest of the overall company, but certainly in the interest of the shareholders. And if they have the majority of the votes, they flip the company. And sometimes that's a good idea. Sometimes it's not. And I think that's led to a lot of frustration by founders and CEOs who have said, wait, I, 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 we're just getting started. And we've had situations yeah. where, you know, we ended up holding off. Certainly one of them was Conexa, which was a very successful HR software company. And we held off. We, you know, we looked at, uh, you know, sailing and going public. We went public after five years and people held on to their stock. And we were able to exit. It, it didn't actually become an exit for 12 years. And at that point, uh, we had made, I call it 12X in 12 years. So it worked out to be, you know, 12 times our money in 12 years, which was enormously successful. But had we tried to force an early exit, um, you know, the it would have been really problematic and much more, uh, much less optimal uh, of an outcome. And but mm-hmm. I see a lot of I see a lot of private equity firms, you know, stack the board and and they and they push a you know a faster, you know, turnaround. Um, but I don't know. Right, it, it's hard to say whether the majority of the shareholders are wrong, but. You know, at the same time, that can clash with the strategic objectives of the long term, for the long term. And right, and that's only one issue that may or may not play out. Uh, another one is that there tend to be too many board seats for each individual uh, director, uh, and uh, they tend, therefore, to focus on the numbers a little bit more and less time spent on strategy and engagement and strategic discussion and and to me the beauty of a board is is this inspiration that uh, only comes when you've got smart people in a room brainstorming so uh, I think there are um, a lot of ways uh, that truly independent directors can add uh, a perspective. Uh, and by we did a, and by independent, I mean really independent. So we did a search for a company uh, in Dallas called Metasolve. And uh, there were uh, three finalists. We think that every director, uh, there ought to be uh, a choice of really qualified people because it's really about the culture even though we have our checklist and, and we can be really particular about the other backgrounds. So there were three finalists, and, and uh, the board liked one, uh, and the CEO and management liked a different one. 
And in this case, the board, in very courageous, I thought, uh, went with their selection, unknown individual to the CEO or management or the board. It's somebody we found uh, exclusive of any referrals inside. And uh, that director came on board, and the CEO was thrilled. It was turned out to be an outstanding director. And uh, that was, uh, I thought, a, a really nice uh, example of an independent uh director uh, well it's it's very seductive i gotta tell you it's very seductive you know i've been on both sides of that equation I the management side investor and you know it's just wonderful having people around that agree with everything you say and you know you're wonderful <laughs> and your joke your jokes are funny i mean it's just it, it's it's just a it's a good life but it it well, doesn't really i don't think it stands the test of time obviously that's and, right and, and one of how the do you, dangers is that when you're on the board for a long time or even a short time, one's allegiance is to the people around you. Your allegiance is to those who brought you to the board, tends to be. It's very hard to be truly independent. Once you've made friends, you've engaged with your colleagues in the boardroom, you're getting paid by the company, it's very difficult to be truly independent. I think well, that's, we have a better uh, chance. And in our next segment, I want to, the last two segments here of our show here, I want next one, I want to get into that. I want to get into how you find ways to build a culture that allows for dissent and multiple opinions and you know the, the systematic approach you use to make sure that doesn't happen. And then I want to get into the, the Hall of Fame of, you know, worst and best boards we've ever seen, because that, that'll be interesting to a lot of our listeners. Um, anyway, we've got uh, just a few more seconds left here. Thank you again for your feedback. And in about two more minutes, we'll be back from our break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the business channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to make a difference every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Alcohol contributes to America socially, economically, and culturally. But alcohol also impacts our health, safety, and quality of life. On Alcohol Across America, each week we present recurring issues related to community, 
liability litigation, social and college drinking, and the alcohol industry. Join host Dr. Brad Crever and his co-hosts every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Welcome back. It's Kevin Feckmeyer interviewing Susan Schultz, who's the uh, leading executive uh, recruiter for directors here in the United States. And, uh, you know, I, I was just leaving you off with a question in the last episode about, you know, how do you build a culture and a system that allows a company to recruit the kind of board members you're talking about? Because that, to me, is it's fundamental to the private equity industry where you need to have those disparate voices and the disparate talents uh, to ultimately, you know, you know, triangulate to the best possible decision and outcome. So, you know, that's what I'm seeing. You know, we're putting 10 million or 50 million or even 100 million into a company. We can't really screw that up and let egos dominate discussions at the board. We, we've got to, you know, create you know, a checks and balances. And I see, we're seeing that all over with the separation of the chairman with the CEO at the board level. There's a lot of requirements, you know, that, that you, know, a, you know, essentially, you know, do what they can to eliminate the monarchy at the board level. So uh, talk about the systems. What do you recommend for companies that, that want to avoid that? Yes, and that's, a, that's such an important question. Let me just say, uh, I think, uh, some of the barriers are the mentality of, just as you said, you don't want to screw it up. You've invested and are investing a lot of money. And, of course, the CEO's life and pride and ego is everything is riding on his success. So what what is typical is there is fear of somebody second-guessing you. There is concern about lack of control. There are a lot of horror stories about boards coming in and removing the CEO. Uh, There is concern about not having people who uh, support you and are your friends and are your sycophants, frankly. So the, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to commit that you're going to use an independent process and you're going to recognize the value of a strategically recruited board that's going to be independent. They're not confrontational. That's not what it's about. If you can't support the CEO, by the way, as a board member, you should resign. So you're there to make sure the CEO succeeds and that he has what he needs to do that. So, so who's who's on this independent committee or who, when you so, I, I agree with you but how do you make it in practice? So you you look for 
you do the matrix that we talked about in the very beginning. You look at what the board needs uh, going forward. Do you need somebody who can uh, understand and oversee risk? Uh, what about cyber? What about um, ESG, which is the Environment Social Governance, which is now becoming more and more uh, a center issue? Do you need somebody who can help you with regulation? Do you need somebody who can help you go through the financial markets, who understands that? All the things you need. Do you need somebody with marketing? How about international? Are you going to move into markets? So you make a matrix and you describe each of those items that will be most valuable, not today, but in the future. And then you look at who you have already, if you do, and if they fit any of those criteria, and then you recruit to those. You don't have one person for each thing because Mm -hmm. you can often find somebody with many qualifications. And uh, you either hire... Uh, an independent search firm, or you form a governance committee, and uh, the committee has to to do it themselves, and it's a lot of work, uh, and it isn't as independent as as working with a firm. And I I know this sounds self-serving, but a firm has the structure in place to proactively recruit. Uh, directors who are going to fit uh, your criteria, and it's very exclusive to your industry, to your culture, to uh, the expertise, and to the diversity. And diversity means everything, not right, just right. not just gender. It means age today. It means technology more and more. It well, means yeah, finance for sure. It I definitely want to tackle global. the. Let, I don't mean to interrupt. I want to tackle that diversity question in the final episode because it's so important. But uh, I can tell you that uh, we've learned the hard way with our story that we allowed more than a, a, a couple management on the board. We had a fellow that insisted that a CFO was on the board, and that was fine. Yeah. You know, very, very yeah. bright fellow. And yeah. at the end of the day, though, we had to move towards an independent selection committee. This was many years ago, and I won't use names, but uh, the the CFO kept presenting a budget, and and he was on the board and presenting at the same time mm. the yeah. quarterly financial results, and and magically they met the budget every quarter, yet the numbers were going down, <laughs> and I said, well, how can this be? And we, you know, we're essentially you didn't you, you had to be able to talk offline about this, and we we did, you know, subsequently, but. When he's in the room, we just kept asking the question, how can this be? The numbers are going down, and yet we're meeting the budget. Well, he had what he called a living budget, which was a budget that changed every quarter and magically <laughs> was uh, revised you know, downward so that they could meet the budget. And, and it was really an ability you know, to avoid embarrassment uh, that really qualified this guy somehow uh, in, the man, in the CEO's eyes. So we had to kind of ease him into a, another area. Uh, off the board and replace him with an independent director who you know was a lot uh, less uh, you know fearful <laughs> asking questions. Yeah. So and we see that yeah. all the time. So two comments there. Uh, one, you already have the benefit full time of their expertise and insight. And two, when they get in the boardroom, you know their boss is sitting there. Their allegiance is to their boss. 
and their future job depends on uh, getting along. So uh, you've got that inherent conflict, uh, and you already have the benefit. They're in the boardroom. Uh, typically, they're in the discussion, so it doesn't really add anything other than uh, you know another safe vote for the CEO. Well, I appreciate the you know we all know the mistakes that we'd never do again. Um, that was one of ours, and uh, you know what what has been some of the big mistakes you've seen? Uh, well. Uh, I, I want to talk about diversity, but but let me just um, you know there are a few there are a few vivid examples. One is Wells Fargo uh, for a big company. They uh, knew uh, three years before the blow up that their sales practices were in inappropriate at best because there were lawsuits in Southern California. It was public. Uh, they also had done a survey uh, within the company that was shared with the board because they were concerned about their sales practices. And so the board knew that this was a problem for quite a long time, and there was no disclosure and there was no action. I think that board is vulnerable. We don't hold board members accountable despite the myth that we do. The hmm. company pays for the board members. So the board members' risk is to their reputation and their time, but really not to their pocketbooks. It's very rare. Enron uh, directors, they, they went bankrupt ultimately and ran out of money, so some of their directors did pay uh, millions of dollars. Another example of a bad board is Equifax. Uh, they also did not disclose uh, the uh, exposure that they had subjected all of their client base to the most private, confidential information. They knew about it uh, many months before it was disclosed. It should have been disclosed. They are vulnerable as well. Uh, I I wonder if if those boards would have made the same decisions if the uh, directors had had a lot of stock personally owned in those companies. I'm just, I'm not saying that there's a, there's a binary equation there, but is there a minimum amount of stock you recommend directors owning in a company you or know, not? Yeah, I think you've got to have an investment in the company. Otherwise, how can you represent those who do? So I think it's essential to do that. I would expect, though, that all of those directors uh, have substantial equity in those companies. No, I mean stock, not options. They, not not freebie options, but actual stock. Yeah, That's an right. I was just going to say that. So, so they may not have some. I think it's a good idea to require uh, directors to invest a certain amount, and then you get how much? How much? Well, you don't want to have so much that you cross the line and your allegiance is to the ongoing success uh, of the company. You may want to sell it because you're going to make more money as an example if you've got a great huge stake. And so you can't say what percentage, but I think you can have too much because I Mm -hmm. think then your allegiance tips 
and your independence is compromised. I would agree. I mean, we we have a rule of thumb, you know, four times four times annual salary or. Uh, you know, some you know, an, annual fee, or sometimes you know, yeah. X percent of your net worth, and I and I right. want to get into that. We've got ten seconds left, and I want to save the last episode for a few more Hall of Fame stories, and then focus good. on diversity and how you can good. achieve that, good, and good, what, good. why is that good? I, I do think we tend to reward mediocrity and failure in boards, and it just <laughs> is so uh, upsetting. And you just there are infinite numbers of examples of that. So, great examples, and talk to me later because I could kick yeah. myself, you know, for some of the things that happened to me before. So, <laughs> when we come back, we'll kick right into that. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Hello, this is Kevin Fechtmeyer back for a final segment of Deal Junkie and uh, here still with Susan Schultz, who's got some great perspective on how to build a board. Uh, my last Hall of Shame story, and then we'll dive into diversity, but uh, here's a, an example of a complete bust. Uh, and you could uh, it was funny because we started this first meeting back in the first internet boom, late 90s, the CEO came in and was talking to us about a private equity investment and uh, he had had some early stage venture guys and then was looking for you know larger money and uh, we asked him about a board we said what kind of board of directors do you want and how can they help you and he stood up 
in the meeting and said, the best director is a silent director. I don't need them for anything. (laughs) I know everything already, and they're not going to tell me anything I don't know. (laughs) So we were stunned. We were silent. We were so surprised. We were stunned. And, well, needless to say, he rode that wild bull up and down, and uh, he ended up building this huge company, multi-billionaire, blah, 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 blah. I won't use names, but let's just say his name was on some buildings and stadiums and so forth, and it crashed and burned. It's gone. It's done. And I think he, you know, that was a case where I think the he confused the bull market for brains, didn't want to listen to anybody, and 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 was toast as a result. Um, let's. I don't want to talk about losing money. I want to talk about making money. Uh, a good board makes you money and talk about how diversity on a board can help a board and help us make money in private equity. Uh, you know, one idea, one introduction, uh, one validation to a uh, investor can make all the difference for a company. Uh, we did a, a board for a golf technology company the uh, they were just going out for money, and they did the board at the right time. We recruited a very diverse, wonderful board, and they uh, the CEO asked the board for suggestions of who would fund. Uh, he got ten suggestions. One of them did the the funding. Uh, there was a a larger company uh, at the time. It was uh, Phelps Dodge. They were going to do a huge. Uh, acquisition in uh, South America, and they brought it. It was almost uh, complete, and uh, they brought it just for a final view at the board. Uh, One of the board members happened to know that organization, suggested they look further into it. They did. Uh, They decided not to go forward. The, The acquisition prospect went bankrupt. It would have been devastating. Um, and then there are, time, there are so many examples of good boards. Let me, uh, we did a, uh, I'll give you another example of a good board. Uh, we recruited a board early days for uh, Universal Technical Institute. Um, Universal Technical Institute which is now a, a New York Stock Exchange company. Yep. And they, was it, wasn't Penske on the board of that one, too? Yes, he was. Yeah, I, I remember. Uh, this uh, was early days. So this yeah. was an advisory board in the early days, and it was a strictly strategic board. They were there for their strategy. Uh, the CEO said, you know, I've learned from my mistakes. Now I want to learn from yours uh, as a counter for your example. And we recruited a wonderfully uh, diverse uh, board. And one of the things they thought about and did was they had thought UTI is a company that trains mechanics. And they had thought their client was the student mechanic. Well, what the board helped them see is really their client were the car companies who hired the mechanics. When they made that switch, they had a whole new way of doing business. So those car companies 
uh, hired their mechanics. Those car companies gave them training. Those car companies provided equipment. And uh, it was what enabled that company then to go public and, and become a New York Stock Exchange company. So diversity, uh, the I, diversity I in the board talk. drove that decision. Pardon? It was a diversity, the, a more diverse board that drove that decision, or was that just... They were strategic. They okay. brainstormed. They thought about more than the dollars. I mean, this is a mm-hmm. great example. They thought about who's the market and how can you leverage it. And by making that switch, it really refocused and pivoted the company in uh, a new direction made all the difference. Uh, and there are a lot of examples where just strategy, where smart people from different backgrounds come together and think about how to grow a company in a new way or anticipate what can be a problem, what the risks are. I mean, risk today is such a huge concern. Yeah. Uh, so... There's so, but let me talk a little bit about diversity. There okay. are, and, and in that answer, of, I know we've got about three minutes left, Susan. But add if you can put in what's the best board you've ever worked with, because I think the answers are going to converge on your on your topic you've just raised. Yes. Um, um, let me let me just and three minutes is tough. But uh, I, I do want to talk about diversity on boards, and that does mean more than gender and ethnicity. But women have been especially badly represented on boards, and it, there are a lot of myths around it. Uh, there's a myth that there aren't any qualified women. That's not true. There are not qualified women who are in your circle and play golf with you. Um, there is a myth that there uh, are no qualified women uh, who are available. And one of the things that happens today is that we recycle uh, directors. So I have a lot of people tell me, gosh, I'm, I'm seeing the same names from different search firms. Well, they look at who's already sitting on a board, and then they recycle uh, people onto other boards. And it's, uh, there's so many wonderfully qualified people. Um, do you know what percentage of board members of, of public companies are women? I, I don't, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's well under, you know, 20% or 30%, maybe as yeah. low. I, you tell me. Uh, it's, it's of the largest Fortune 500, it's 17% and the number goes way down. Mm-hmm. Uh, 90% of Fortune 500 companies Uh, have women. And at first glance, that doesn't sound so bad, but when you look at it more closely, that means 10% of companies have zero women uh, on boards. And Mm. of course, one of those companies, logically, is Weinstein's company. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, we've got, yeah, we we have a, you know, enormous gap in our, in our view in private equity, which has been even further behind the curve in recruiting women and to, to boards and partnership positions and I just look around, yeah. you know, yeah. common sense as a businessman. Um, yeah. Most purchase decisions today are being made by the women in the household, and yet how do you make an investment firm based, you know, make, basing the decisions on investments with, you know, with no or very few women partners? So I think that's changing. 
maybe not as rapidly well, as other people is. would we're like, but it, very slowly but surely we're seeing that in, you know being enforced uh, as a as a goal, if a performance goal, because it's impacting performance. Well, it is, and people are finally recognizing that. I mean, to have the majority of um, consumers, women make 85% of the buying decisions. They're the majority of investors, uh, the majority of employees in most cases, although not at the top. Uh, But there is a lot of unconscious bias. And, well, you know, it is and, but, but let me let me end on a hopeful note because we're only down to ten seconds. But we, t- I would say, as my example. as my first and hopefully first of many women expert guest speakers on this show, I'm I'm more optimistic today than I was certainly years ago in this area. Well, I can find you women for every position; they're there. It's just that that we're not so visible and we don't raise our hands. Well, you're right, you're going to be on the website, example. and people want to contact you for more resources in this area. They'll have your contact information on the Voice America website. So, thank you again for your time and very valuable discussion. And uh, you, uh, once again, Susan, we really enjoyed this. It's it's my pleasure, and uh, I'll look forward to being with you again. Talk to you then. Thank you for tuning in to Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. Be sure to join Kevin Fechtmeyer and the Deal Team 6 for another edition next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a nice week.